Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. You can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 248 of Sorta Awesome. Like I just mentioned, I wanted to invite you to come and follow Sorta Awesome on Instagram if you have not done that already. We would love to have you over there. Of course, every Friday we have an Awesome of the Week thread so that you can share what is awesome in your life on Instagram. And we also talk about new show announcements. We share funny memes. We share things to think about all happening in the Instagram community for Sorta Awesome over on Instagram. So if you haven't joined us, we would love to have you. It's super simple to find us. Just look us up over there at Sorta Awesome Show. All right, like I said, this is episode 248 of Sorta Awesome. I'm very excited about this week's episode because I get to welcome back to the show one of my favorite people in the world and somebody who is super smart about what we're going to be talking about today, my husband of almost 22 years, Kyle. Hello and welcome back to Sorta Awesome. Hello and thank you. One, I'm flattered by that kind intro. Two, I'm a little concerned that we couldn't find an episode more special. 248 is kind of a <laughs> 250, I'd have felt pretty hot. <laughs> that is a true point. It is just kind of a, you know, mundane, boring number, 248. But here we are. We're going to be talking about something that you and I really do spend a not small amount of time talking about off mic in our life. And that's basically booze. <laughs> well, but it's not like we're bad players. We talk about it because it's been a very enjoyable journey. It has been a journey because you and I grew up in family contexts, heavily influenced by church choice and church culture. We grew up pretty much not knowing much about alcohol at all. I myself always felt a little scandalized just by being in the same room as somebody who was having alcohol. We kind of traveled a path that most, I would say at least most American young people travel, which is kind of be introduced either through beer or maybe wine coolers, those types of things when we were young adults. But it has not been really until we were like in our, would you say maybe like late 30s and on into our 40s that we really journeyed outside of some comfort zones to yeah, discover yeah. the world of spirits and all of the fun that goes along with that. If I may, and I'm not actually asking, <laughs> since you you tied in upbringing and cultural influences and all of that, I think that's a very valid perspective to bring to enjoying this as well, to look back and say, we also grew up in the era of the Great American Road Trip, where you didn't just drive from point A to point B. You stopped everywhere. You saw the world's biggest ball of yarn. You, yes. you stopped at every tourist trappy garbage shop. You bought things at a truck stop, gas station, as souvenirs. We did all of that. So this is kind of a recreation of our journey and that we are experimenting, testing all the way through. That is a really good analogy. I wasn't sure where you're going with it. I didn't know. Well, you can't gonna... trust me. You should never trust me. I didn't know if you were going to say that on these road trips, your parents yeah. would collect. I got schnockered, <laughs> drunk driving. We do have a lot of information we want to share with you. You know, it's summertime. It's a time when maybe you are open to trying new things. Maybe because of quarantine, you just actually have the time to experiment and check out things that you haven't checked out before. Maybe you personally don't drink, but you've always wanted to be able to give a really thoughtful gift to somebody in your life who does enjoy a lovely bottle of alcohol of any variety now and again. I think there's something for everybody in this episode, and we're going to get to all of that here in just a few minutes. But first, let's start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. It is that moment in the show, Awesomes, when we stop and talk about the book or TV shows, the podcasts, movies, products, whatever it is that's making life just a little bit more awesome. Right now, Kyle, even though we share a lot of things, I don't really know what you're going to share with us for Awesome of the Week this week. So what'd you bring? What did I bring? I brought Jonathan Haidt, okay. spelled 
H-A-I-D-T. Okay. And that's important because uh, I think this is something that'd be interesting and people may want to look him up. Okay. And I don't trust that you'll get it in the show notes. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was I'm just kidding. Jonathan Hyde is a social psychologist, also a college professor and an author. Just in the last week's time run across, I never would have heard of him before. Oddly, I'm not a big Joe Rogan listener. In fact, rarely and only recently a few things, but I happened to run across, I think it's like episode 1,221 or something. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Joe is interviewing, I don't know if he's a doctor or a mister. I didn't look that part up. We'll just call him Jonathan. We'll call him Jonathan. We're on a first name basis already. He talks through, and I felt like it was so appropriate for right now, some of what feels very crazy going on societally. It's so hard to find reason, truth, common ground, common perspectives and all of that. He takes a step back. Obviously, this interview and his book, one of his books was 2018 range. He's speaking before what we're going through now, but he speaks to kind of what's been happening psychologically with our young humans that are growing into adults and some of the different perspectives they have. And then when you lump us all, them as young adults and then everybody else into the same area, it can feel pretty chaotic. And I felt like he really described some interesting things that will be helpful. In his book called The Coddling of the American Mind. Ooh, provocative title. I've, yeah, I've got <laughs> on my to-read list here pretty soon. Very good. And what's his name again? Jonathan Height? Height. Okay. Like, you would pronounce it like height, like how tall is something, what is its height? Yes. But it is spelled H-A-I-D-T. Well, my awesome of the week this week is an awesome that has been keeping me entertained in downtime for a couple of weeks now. And I just have been enjoying it so much. And I can't believe I have not yet mentioned it on Sorta Awesome. It is a podcast. You know, I do spend a lot of time podcast listening. It's a hobby of mine. If you're going to steal material from people, you got to hear it first, right? (laughs) The name of the podcast is Noble Blood. I had seen this podcast recommended in a couple of different places. I'm going to be honest, when I first heard of it, I did not think I would be super interested in it because it is definitely a historical podcast, which is not to say it's a podcast from back in history. It's (laughs) from the 1600s. (laughs) It's a podcast that covers history and specifically stories having to do with royalty. So they use the idea noble. I mean, it covers not just your kings and queens and your princes and your princesses, but anybody with any kind of connection to nobility. The host of the podcast is named Dana Schwartz. It's actually produced by Aaron Mankey's network. Aaron Mankey, of course, is the creator of the show Lore where he goes and tells stories of folklore, which is a fantastic and very popular podcast. Well, this is part of his network. And so what Dana does on this show is finds the sort of untold stories of royalty from across the spans of time and around the world. These are not the stories that you probably heard or read in your history books when you were in school. She really manages to find angles on different stories that are just, oh my goodness, they're so fascinating. Some of them are tragic, some are heartbreaking, some are funny. It really makes the people that you maybe, you recognize their names, you did study them in school. Some of these parts of royalty from around the world I have never heard of. So you're meeting new royal lines on different continents and all of these things. It's really fascinating history and I'm super loving it. And it's so great to just kind of plug in, especially like if I'm cleaning house, doing laundry, and just like to have a story running in the background. I even managed to talk you into trying out a few episodes. Indeed. What was your read on Noble Blood? I have enjoyed the parts I've listened to. I've gotten distracted, and so I haven't powered through it. I haven't probably listened to it in a week now, maybe. For me, I find it as a good audio wallpaper, but just teetering on that edge because at times I stop whatever task at hand and be like, wait, what did they just say? And right. tune back in a little bit. Again, the podcast is Noble Blood. It has been on for a while now. If you want to, you can do like I did and start back at the very beginning and listen. Of course, she just tells a new story every week, so you could start wherever. In fact, her most recent recent episodes, if you go to that podcast feed, she is telling stories from each of King Henry VIII's wives. Oh my. And that's super interesting too. So you could even just start right there and have yourself a little limited series podcast in the Noble Blood feed. So anyway, it is really good. We will put a link to that and to Kyle's Awesome of the Week in the show notes. So you say... 
so that you guys can check them out. Of course, we love to hear what is awesome in your life. If you have not, we would love to have you join us in our sort of awesome hangout group where we are always talking about things that are encouraging, helpful. We help each other solve problems. We give recommendations all of that good stuff. And of course, on Fridays, we do share our awesomes of the week. You can find us over there at facebook.com slash groups slash sorta awesome hangout. Hey, awesomes. June is Pride Month. And while this year's celebrations may be a little different than usual, there are still ways that everyone can come together to support the LGBTQ plus community. One way is with Bomba's new Pride Collection. These colorful socks bring more love, compassion, and comfort into the world because these socks give back to those experiencing homelessness in the LGBTQ plus community. Of course, my family loves Bomba's socks. We've been wearing them for years. They hold up to all the wear and tear that we dish out, and they absolutely are the most comfortable socks that we've ever had. Now, for every pair of Pride socks that you buy, Bombas will donate a pair to someone in need in the LGBTQ plus community through the Ally Coalition. Bombas works year-round with the Ally Coalition, an organization that uses music to illuminate the systemic inequalities facing the LGBTQ plus community like homelessness. Did you know that the LGBTQ plus community is more at risk of experiencing homelessness? One in 10 young adults in that community will experience it according to a study by the Voices of Youth Count. The Bombas Pride Collection comes in six colorful styles. Bombas sent us some to check out. AJ and I have been fighting over who gets to keep the leopard pride print. It is so cute. And there's something for everyone in that collection. Bombas socks are made with extra long staple cotton. It's the softest, most breathable cotton in the world. And they're built with a cushion footbed that creates a layer of comfort between you and your shoes without adding any bulk. Bombas socks provide support in places you didn't even know you needed it, like your arches. And you know that annoying toe seam that most socks have? Well, Bombas got rid of it. It's just smooth sailing all the way across the top of your foot. Pride is usually a time where everyone can come together, but because many Pride events have been canceled this year, it's more important than ever to find new ways to show your support and give back to the community. So go to bombas.com slash awesome today to shop the Pride collection and get 20% off of your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash awesome. Awesome. So when it's time to hire I know that finding the right person for your company can be challenging and very not awesome. It's especially true in small business where every employee truly impacts the organization. So when you are ready to find that next hire, LinkedIn can help. LinkedIn Jobs matches your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. The LinkedIn Jobs platform specializes in getting just the right candidate in front of your eyes. That's because LinkedIn is an active community of professionals with 675 million members worldwide. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person faster. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability, LinkedIn looks beyond just hard skills and puts your job post in front of qualified candidates every day so that it's seen by people looking for jobs like yours. That's why companies rate LinkedIn Jobs the number one hiring platform for delivering quality hires. So you guys find the right person for your business with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash awesome. Again, that's linkedin.com slash awesome to get $50 off of your first job post. Terms and conditions do apply. All right. Well, like I said at the top of the show, we are talking all about the world of booze today. (laughs) Let's let's call it liquor. You don't like what I call it booze. It feels a little (laughs) lowbrow. Let's class it up around here. We'll call it liquor. Plus, plus, if you're hillbilly, you can spell it. L-I-K-K-E-R, and not feel like you're putting on airs. As we said at the top of the show, this really was a world that was very foreign to Mm -hmm. both of us. And I'm not kidding you guys when I say that I can remember. So my parents did not drink at all, ever, ever, ever. But my mother's sister and her husband were totally social drinkers. And we would go visit them in their home. And, you know, in the evenings after dinner and all these kids running around, they'd pour a little nightcap. And I can remember being completely scandalized (laughs) and like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? People are drinking. I came from that context as I grew into adulthood and had some shifting views on alcohol and drinking, not only just to, you know, some people think about drinking a glass of alcohol. It's going to have a lot of reasons, a lot of motivations for different people, right? Sure. Maybe you're relaxing. Maybe it helps take the edge off at the end of the day. But truly what we've discovered, and I never would have guessed this when I was growing up, there's a component of drinking, whether it is beer or wine or, or liquor. That it's just genuinely for the absolute pleasure and joy of the taste of it. Indeed, either just as the drink by itself or in complement around a meal. 
Totally. Yes. And I feel like that's something that I very much missed out on in my younger years when I also would really abstain from alcohol. And of course, we are very inclusive. Everybody gets to pick their own ideas and practices around alcohol. Absolutely. And like I said at the top of the show, hey, maybe you just listen because you'd like to be able to buy a nice gift for your boss or your brother-in-law or, you know, whoever in your life that does enjoy having a glass of something lovely every now and again. Now you're going to be better equipped to do that too. Whatever your perspective on drinking alcohol is, we hope that you'll get something out of what we've put together to share today. And you guys, just as a reminder, or if you're new to Sort of Awesome, my husband Kyle is an INTJ and he's an Enneagram type five. So if there's one thing that he can do and do, you excellently. It's a deep dive. I can deep dive. It doesn't mean everything I'll say is true. It just means that I read a lot of stuff and gathered some notes. That's right. Okay, so I'm going to let you kick us off. Okay. Alcoholic beverages in general had to come from somewhere, right? That's right. It's pretty straightforward. And I think some of this plays the more into the journey you become. The more you want it to be a true experience, the more it helps to kind of identify what brought a taste, what steers you towards or away from something appealing. That in mind, simplistically, fruits, berries, grains, plant saps, tubers, honey, milk, these are all things that contain sugar. You apply a yeast of some kind to it, and very crudely, the yeast eats the sugar and poops alcohol. Is that the technical term? That is the actual scientific term, I believe. Yeast is added to these things that already have sugar in them. The yeast interacts with the sugar, eats it. When it poops it, it's alcohol. Yes. The yeast grows. The yeast is a living organism. It's growing, splitting, doing all those things. Yes. All right. The byproduct is alcohol. Actually, several different kinds, but the bulk of which is ethanol, which is the portion that brings the impact on us. The less negative. There are some of them in there that are nasty and not good for you in high quantity. Whatever it is you started with that you have fermented... That is kind of then a guide towards how the fermented product would be named. If you've begun with fruits, typically then you're going to end up with something that is called a wine. If you begin with something a little bit more complex, the sugar molecular structure, malt, corn, rice, hops, those type things, well, that's broadly we'd call that beer, but it's beers, ales, stouts, porters, those type things. Okay. That's the beginning, and that's going to get you somewhere in the range of 3 to 14% alcohol by volume. Okay. Which is literally, if I have a one-gallon volume and it is 3% alcohol by volume or ABV, that means 3% of that one gallon is the alcohol content. 3 to 14% is what you said? Yes. Okay. That's beers and wine. There's always, for everything we talk about, there's going to be outliers and rule breakers. These are the generally most common things. That's a wickedly simplified description of what goes on. I mean, technically, you could take water, table sugar, and yeast and get a product that could get you drunk if that was your only goal, (laughs) if you could hold it down because it tasted so bad. It does sound kind of terrible. Well, I want to go back for just a second to talking about you named off different things that had sugar in them. And one of the things that you mentioned is milk. Can you make a beverage for drinking an alcoholic beverage with a milk base? You can ferment it. Yes. Interesting. It has lactose, which is a sugar. If you want to get really nerdy, depending upon the kind of sugar in there, there are different things that you would need to do in some instances to make it a better environment, a more fermentable sugar. In some cases, even table sugar would be added to something, some fruit or something that had a lower natural sugar content to make sure that your end result lands in the range you want it to be. You also have told me in the past in some of your research that, you know, we think about wine coming from grapes. Of course, that's like what comes to mind most. People have used a variety of different kinds of fruits. We hillbillies know that you could make strawberry wine. Watermelon. Watermelon wine. And then people have even gone a little bit into the more unusual side and come up with different things that you can turn into wine. Didn't you tell me that somebody had made like a cotton candy wine? Yes. There's a guy on YouTube, and I can't remember his name, but I bet if you searched cotton candy wine, you'd probably find both him and maybe a few others. I just thought that was so fascinating because, of course, most of us were at the grocery store, at the liquor store, reading bottles and trying to pick what we want to buy and drink. We're just looking and thinking about different great varieties. All kinds of things could be used to make a wine. Yeah, and that's a whole other deal we've not yet really gotten into. I've looked at a little to just 
like try brewing either direction. We do have a local brew shop down the street. And before COVID hit in full force, I was teetering on the edge of signing up just to go to a weekend class or two and see what all that was about. That's beer and wine. But really, when you start talking about liquor, then you're talking about a different process or maybe just like a continuation of the process. And that's the right term. Okay. It's a continuation because you would still start ultimately with either a beer or a wine, even if it's just in loose definition. And to get to the higher alcohol by volume content, which most of the liquor you buy on the shelf is going to be somewhere between 40 and 50%, which is a far cry from 3 to 14. It's a significant difference. Yeah. Your fermented product, your original ferment, that beer or that wine, it is, ultimately, it's primarily water and alcohol, but then you have esters and flavory things and stuff in there as well. If you want to get a higher concentration of alcohol, then you take that through a distillation process. It's a refinement. It's a separation. Alcohol has different properties than water, meaning it freezes at a lower temperature. It evaporates at a lower temperature. One of the oldest and most simple ways would be a freeze distillation. And there's a lot of people online that do that with apple cider. They'll ferment it. So they've got technically an apple wine at that Mm -hmm. point or a Mm -hmm. cider. And then they will put it in plastic bottles, not glass. And they'll put it in the freezer and freeze these bottles and then pull it out. You pour off the liquid because that's everything that's ice is going to be water. The alcohol didn't freeze. However many times you do it determines how high ultimately of an alcohol content that you get to. Would it taste though like apple? Would it be like an apple yes. whiskey type yes. situation? Yes, and okay. more so, more so with freeze distillation than is the case with the other side of the spectrum, which involves heat. Because with freeze distillation, all of those esters, all that stuff in there, it stays in there. You're just really pulling the water out, hey. which is also why you got to be really careful with that stuff. You can get the worst hangover of your life without even really getting drunk from it. Because of all the stuff that's still in it, because Mm -hmm. it hasn't gone through Mm -hmm. a lot of different distillations. You take advantage of these temperatures. At the opposite end of the spectrum from the freeze distillation, temperature-wise, alcohol vaporizes at a lower temperature than does water. You would heat. You would begin to evaporate the alcohol. You would capture the gas, cool it to condense it back into liquid. And there's where you have a spirit. At the molecular level, it's a little bit more involved with than that because it's not, I'm just pulling the alcohol out. As those alcohol molecules turn to gas, they do drag with them some water. So it's not pure right out of the gate. Lots of factors come into play. The starting alcohol volume of what you're using of your original ferment, the type of still that you use for distilling plays a big factor in this. And this is where the world of liquor really begins to expand and get interesting all of these different potential flavors from your original fermented beverage, and then every one of the distillation processes, it's going to behave differently in terms of efficiency of how much alcohol you're pulling out at a time. That also then means that you're leaving behind or bringing with it different degrees of flavor from what your original brew was. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think when we start to talk about some of the different starting components to some of these liquors, it will even make more sense. You can be a little bit more specific about it. But I remember when you started looking into distillation, I was like, oh my gosh, this is literally just chemistry class. I haven't thought about things changing and what they do on a molecular level since I was like a junior in high school taking chemistry. But it is so fascinating because it is chemistry, but it's also something that humanity has been doing and creating for, gosh, years and years and years in different forms. And so again, literally any Cretan could take a bag of table (laughs) sugar, ferment it, then distill it. And that is actually, some people would call that a sugar shine. It is a thing and people do that. The American moonshiners aren't the only ones either in all of history in the world who gained some notoriety for following a rudimentary recipe, a rudimentary process, creating something drinkable and even sometimes really quite good. And that is exactly, it's the simplicity of the process that has allowed cultures to ferment and in more recent history to begin distilling, refining that process so that today we do have vodka, rum, bourbon, whiskey, scotch, you name it. It's also why each one of those drinks has a specific thing or things about them that makes them exactly what they are. There's a process for making beer. There's a process for making wine. Mm -hmm. And they're very similar. Some heat differences. Beer is probably a little bit more difficult, possibly. 
like you said, with wine, you've got mostly fruits. Mm-hmm. With beer, you've got mostly grains. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. You could either stop the process right then. Again, I'm simplifying completely, but you could stop right then. But if you don't, if you keep going forward, continuing the process and moving to distillation, that's what gives you liquor. Now let's break this down into what creates the foundation for each of these different kinds of liquor. Let's take a brief tour of the world. The Caribbean has sugarcane, which is several steps later becomes rum. Russia had grain and potatoes, which is how vodka came to be. Scotch originates from Scotland, where they malted their barley and then also often smoked it with peat, which Mm. is effectively just rooty soil from peat bogs. From the bogs of Scotland. Can't call it a scotch if you make it any, well, that's expanded a little bit anywhere besides Scotland. But you're certainly going to have a hard time in the Caribbean recreating a peaty scotch because you don't have the peat. Bourbon is a U.S. creation. It has to be at least 51% corn is what you made your beer from. You could, you know, corn, wheat, rye, all kinds of other things that may or may not come into play, but it has to be 51% of that has to be corn. A few other requirements. And then we move to Italy where you have grappa, which is used from the leftover garbage from making wine, seeds, stems, skins, pulp. So you said bourbon. Now, this is interesting to me because I always thought that bourbon and whiskey were interchangeable words. Loosely. I think it's kind of one of those things where a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is right. not a square. Right, exactly. Because scotch is a whiskey. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Whiskey sort of umbrella term for a kind of liquor, but within whiskey, you're going to have bourbon, you're going to have scotch, you're going to have rye whiskey, maybe. If you're a good redneck, you may just call it all brown water. <laughs> yep. Please raise your hand if you've ever heard anyone call liquor brown water, because I have known that term for probably 20 years. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody besides a hillbilly call it that. I'm just kind of like categorizing this in my mind as I'm thinking about it. It is so interesting. It really is because a lot of these, this is the kind of liquor or spirit, whatever you want to call it, that people have used what's in front of them. If you're in Russia and you have a lot of grain and and you're growing potatoes, And then people just experiment. And then probably a lot of these by accident come up with, oh, look, look what happened when we left. (laughs) And some of it, I mean, not all the time was it just how can we find a way to get silly? A lot of the time it was in an attempt to preserve a crop so that you can use it year round. Yes, that's so true. You know, even thinking back to scripture, to the Bible, when you talk about like Jesus and his first miracle, the wedding feast at Cana, changing water to wine. Most people know that story of Jesus changing water to wine. Wine was the way that they could, like you said, preserve the grapes, preserve the crops. Like you can make grape juice, but it's going to go bad if it's not refrigerated. They didn't have refrigerators. They probably either were trying to store it and a wild yeast got into it and or They were preserving with additional sugar to make jelly in the same thing, a wild yeast, because that's a real thing. We try to control the processes here with the yeast we choose. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeast exists. It can get in there and you can have a ferment before you knew it. So fascinating. And I think it's so interesting, like you said, that if something is not made in Scotland using a specific process for scotch, that it cannot technically be called scotch. Think about it simplistically. You can be of Scottish descent, but you're an American citizen. You're not technically a Scot anymore. Mm -hmm. Let's talk through where do we go from here? Well, stills would be the next thing, which is the apparatus that you would use to distill. And Mm -hmm. there are many kinds of these. If anybody's watched, I don't even know if it's still on. I think it was Discovery Channel did Moonshiners. They show a pot still and a thumper attachment and I think a puke box, all kinds of different (laughs) fun named things. That's one of many kinds of still. There are several. Again, each one is more or less efficient in terms of pulling out a higher purity of alcohol, but that may not always be your desire. It depends on what you started with. If you started with something Do you want to sit down and have yourself a nice potato wine or potato beer? No. No. So when you distill that, you probably don't want to pull over most of the flavors from that. Right. You want to maybe pull that off at like 95% purity to have the iocane powder of liquors that's 
odorless and tasteless, they would use a very different still than perhaps what a bourbon maker who is absolutely, or a scotch maker who's trying to pull flavor profiles from the grain bill, which is the actual percentages of each type of grain inside the beer they started with. And so they may want to go with a pot still, yeah, which is going to be far less efficient. It may even require more than one trip through to get it to the alcohol volume that they want, but they're going to retain flavor from what they started with. Yes. You want your end product to be what you want it to taste like, what you want that experience to be, that's going to determine the distillation process. Yes. And then kind of as a final perspective on that portion is even with the least efficient methods of distilling, you're still going to pull something off that's around 60% alcohol by volume at the low end. At the high end, again, a, a vodka may come off at 95 that's not drinkable. Nope. <laughs> you can clean tools with it, degrease your floor maybe, I don't know, but you don't want to drink it. And so then they do water down at some point to get it down to that 40 to 50% range. Sort of a correlation that I think of when it comes to like diluting something is I think back to my days working at Starbucks. Some people enjoy a straight shot of espresso pulled right off an espresso bar. But most people who are going to Starbucks don't want that. They want like a latte. They want it to start with that pure espresso shot or however many shots you want. But then you're going to add the steamed milk and you're going to add flavors and it creates this whole different experience than drinking a straight shot of espresso. Or they may want an Americano, which is still, they're not flavoring it. They're just reducing the potency. So that you have the shot of espresso and you add just brewed coffee and it brings that intensity down. So same thing here where, I mean, you shouldn't ever take a shot shot of 95% of alcohol. But the idea being like it comes off really, really, really intense. And so then they add water to make it palatable and safe to drink, in fact. Okay. Final nuance to all of this. And it's cool. If you've never thought about it before, this is really interesting to me, at least. Sure. Any distilled product is perfectly clear. Even brown water didn't start brown. That's right. The color, as well as Any additional flavor that wasn't present there can come through the aging process. Sometimes a year, sometimes 20 years more. It just depends on, again, what they're doing. Right. That is done in wooden casks. Okay. Over the course of years, weather going from hot to cold, cold to hot, product inside the barrel is going to push into and out of the wood over and over. Along with just letting the flavors from that spirit age and marry, do fun chemical things, you're also pulling flavor from the wood. And you're leaving behind some of the flavor from the spirit in that wood. And the reason that gets really interesting as well is because let's say you're in Kentucky and you used your 51% corn grain bill as your mash. You've completed your ferment. You use a pot still for distillation. You take your perfectly clear product and you put it in unused oak barrels, which I believe is a requirement. You age it for five years, add a little water to get the ABV to where you want it to be, bottle it and sell it you still have those barrels left over. And maybe Laphroaig in Scotland is making scotch. They buy those barrels, they make their scotch, they go through their whole process, and then they put it in those bourbon casks. Again, along with just the natural aging process, you're now infusing some of those old bourbon flavors that were in the wood. Fascinating. Yeah, and they do that with scotch, with brandy, with, my gosh, everything that's aged in a barrel Those barrels have a long lifetime and get shipped all over the world and used for different things. That's a lot of stuff about liquor. During the aging process then is maybe where some of the coloring comes in. Yes, you're getting tannins from the wood. From the wood. Okay. That's a lot in terms of something that I never had thought about. Everything that has gone into creating it, especially for those types of liquor that are meant for sipping. And we're going to get right into this. There's a variety of different taste experiences for each of these types of liquors. And some of them are really meant for sipping. Just to think about how much thought, effort, experimentation has gone into creating the specific flavor that that liquor possesses. is really an interesting process. And the years that it takes to figure out if that experiment worked or not. Five, 10, 15 years to know whether that batch, and you had to make that batch big enough to sample along the way and have sellable product. It does literally take decades to come up with a true whiskey. So that was such a great INTJ slash Enneagram 5 deep dive into the process. But how does this apply to our actual lives when we are going to pick out a bottle for ourselves or for a gift? Like, what does it matter? And how do we go about buying liquor? Yeah. How do you judge it? Yes. All that. 
there's a couple of guys down in Austin that go by the name of Whiskey Trap. They have a YouTube presence. I can't remember if they stuck with their podcast experiment or not, but these guys are really helpful and interesting. One of the phrases that they regularly use, which I appreciate greatly, is that the best whiskey is the one that's in your glass that you enjoy. I like that. That gives you a lot of freedom. Indeed. You shouldn't be pressured to like something because someone else likes it. Okay. Or feel guilty for liking something because some whiskey snob turned their nose up at you. Thank you for that. Thank you. That makes it so much more approachable and not feel like you have to like pick just the right kind or that you have to justify why you like a thing that you like. You have to start. It's a journey. You have to start somewhere having no idea what you're doing. So you pick a thing off of maybe a recommendation and we're going to give some and you need to have that drink and make a decision. Do I like it, not like it, or am I indifferent? Any of those three answers is helpful for the next thing that you do. We'll come back to that part, but let's walk through, Meg, if you wanted to recommend a vodka, what kind of things would you recommend? One of the reasons this whole topic was on my mind is because I did find a vodka. I never thought I would be a vodka sipping kind of lady. I do think of vodka as being a pretty stout liquor, and so I've never really gotten that into it. However, I was watching one of my favorite YouTubers. Her name's Kate Great Beauty. She loves to pour herself a beverage and then do makeup. She sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. (laughs) She's really good at it. Okay. (laughs) She knows her limits, but she was sipping a Tito's vodka and lemonade. It's summertime. That sounded like such a great drink. And I have heard commercials. I feel like Tito's did a big podcast advertising campaign a few years ago. I was familiar with the name. Well, our local liquor store had a big Tito's display right when you walked in the front door. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try it this time. I had picked up this Tito's vodka and they're made in Texas. They pride themselves on being this very specialized, handcrafted vodka experience. And I got to tell you, I love it. We've been sipping it. Now we like to mix ours with Topo Chico, which is a mineral water from Mexico, usually in the Southern part of the United States. I have a feeling because Coca-Cola bought Topo Chico. Did you know that? I think you're going to start seeing Topo Chico throughout the country. But anyway, Anyway, makes a great mixer. So we've been doing that. I don't usually sip it straight, although I think you could. There's just not much experience there because it is pretty tasteless, don't you think? Right. Most people are either going to put it in a mixed drink or take shots. Tito's is my pick for sure, but I know you have some that could be a good starter or a more high-end one. I don't like spending money for no reason. Sure. I want to have a value buy and I want it to match what I'm trying to do. I'm too much of a nerd to just enjoy life, I guess. I don't know. Um, But with vodka, we have tried and enjoyed as a mixer, both McCormick, who would have thought the Irish would have made a good (laughs) vodka, and then Svedka, which is Swedish. Those are great mixers. They're not very good straight. A little hairspray flavor. They are. That's a good point about vodka. And and we've laughed about that before. But truly, we say it doesn't have a taste, but it does have that sort of hair. Like you just maybe sprayed a little hairspray yeah. in your mouth. Kind I of think of VO5. That's what my mom <laughs> and sister used when I was a kid. It takes me back. Yes. So McCormick and Svedka, if you want to make some kind of vodka-based mixture. They're going to mix fine. Yeah. Yeah. If you want something straight or as a sipper or whatever, Grey Goose and Stolichnia. There you go. Stoli is most people Stoli, abbreviate yes. it to because you can't say Stolichnia if you've already had one or two. <laughs> now, I wonder if vodka has a special place in your heart because... A little bit. Being an oaky boy, you grew up, not grew up, but once you started, you know, like, okay, I'm going to have a drink while I'm out with friends or whatever, you would just grab a beer, which is a pretty easy grab. But then as you got older into your 20s and found yourself in different social situations, especially back when you were coaching, you wanted to feel like you could get something from the bar, but you didn't know where to start. That's right. What did you do? I did what any good person would do. I looked over at my friend who I felt like was more experienced and said, hey, what do I get? He had good logic. He said vodka tonic. Because it really, with a vodka tonic, which is tonic water, vodka, lime juice, it almost doesn't matter how low a quality that bar happens to have. It's still drinkable. Still drinkable and it'll still get the job done. It's, it gets it done. <laughs> so that's where I started and out of fear, maybe, no, nah, not fear, but not enough time to experiment, not enough interest to start this journey really yet. I stayed there for several years. Maybe 10 years or something. It's possible. That was just your kind of go-to. You felt comfortable. And like you said, you knew no matter what the bar was stocking, it was going to be a safe bet to yeah. get a vodka tonic. So then moving in, and this is the clear liquors, white rum, 
which again, that's really a mixer. There has to be something else done to it. Otherwise, you're pretty flavorless. But white rum, both Bacardi and Cruzon, both of those, again, Caribbean. And there are tons of rums from that region. If you're into that, whether it's white spice, a sipper that's aged, whatever, you ought to make a journey through the islands in your purchases. I feel like white rum, come across a lot of summery drinks that have a white rum. Maybe it is that mm-hmm. Caribbean influence. I like your strawberry daiquiris and, and those types of things are going to have a rum going on, yeah. I think. A lot of people may be familiar from younger days, college, whatever, like a rum and coke or something. And that's typically a spiced rum. Okay. And Captain Morgan is a name everybody knows. It's cheap. It's fine as a mixer. Yeah. The Kraken is another one that gets some attention there. We're not really spiced rum people, so I don't have a lot to offer there other than just those mixers. But I do think that's a good suggestion. If you find yourself like, you know, I'm super into rum, then go look around at the liquor store and you might be surprised what you can find that's good for sipping on. In fact, you have a good sipper suggestion. Well, that's really, you were the one that gave the ravest reviews of that. I do remember this. It's been a minute since we bought this, but Kirk and Sweeney, which is a Dominican rum, is one that you had picked up at the liquor store. I think we were both really surprised that rum could be that sippable. Had a nice complexity to it. You could even taste the green of sugar cane in it. Yes. It was just really pleasant. Really. Very smooth. Yes. That would be a great gift. Absolutely. I was just thinking that. That would be a great gift for somebody in your life who does enjoy a great bottle of this or that. I would guess there's not many people that know that there's a really nice sippable rum. So you can even just like surprise somebody with it and they might be really into it. Let's talk tequila. Tequila. I've Uh, never been a mixed drink tequila guy. I am intimidated by tequila, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Here's the first story I heard about tequila. I went to college at the same time with some twin brothers that were very large guys, and they oftentimes would get into physical altercations with each other at a party. They got into a fist fight over who got to eat the worm, Uh, which was actually, I think that's actually mezcal and not tequila. Yeah. And it's not something you don't, every bottle of tequila does not have a worm. Yes. That's not how That's pop culture, but not real life. Okay. I had no interest even in tequila. I can't remember. It may have been my business partner who suggested to me to try Don Julio and their Añejo. Blanco, what's there's a Resposado or something like that. There's different nomenclature to tell you kind of what you're getting into in terms of their processing. I don't know what Añejo means other than Don Julio Añejo was excellent. It really was. It was almost like a scotch. It was very smoky. Yes, that's right. It was good. It was very smoky. It had a lot of flavor packed into it in a very nice, sippable, enjoyable way. And I don't think you really think about tequila itself having a lot of flavor to it. Again, it's a clear and most people are going to either do tequila shots or they have it in a mixed drink. So, Well, again, you're aging. I'm sorry. Yeah, your aging is what provides color. Most tequilas aren't going to be aged much. Yeah. That was a unique there. Obviously, I think everybody who's ever been to a liquor store would have seen an advertisement for Patron. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. I honestly think its popularity has pushed the price point above where it's really worth, but it's, it's a safe bet. It's a little maybe overrated at this point, but it's safe. Again, perfectly fine. if you want to get somebody a gift, nobody's going to be offended that you got them a bottle of Patron, unless they're a hardcore conservative Southern Baptist. <laughs> that could be a problem. Then what are you doing buying them tequila? Right? Just give it to them by themselves. If there's two of them there, it's a problem. <laughs> Let's get into the category where we, you and I really like to mm. camp out. Bourbon and then scotch. We've spent some time there. As a value buy, as a fantastic starting place. And to me, I'm not a huge fan of mixing bourbons. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going to, if you want a bourbon and Coke, use Jim Beam or Jack Daniels. Use something that's cheap. Yeah. You do get your money's worth. I've yet to run across one that I thought that's way too high priced. Right, 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 right. Uh, Usually price point indicates some quality there, but Mm -hmm. that's not to say you have to go super expensive either. Right. In fact, if you don't mind my saying, my very first, I have such a fondness for this bourbon. It was the first sippable, sipping bourbon that we tried that I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. And it's Four Roses. Yes. And it does have a cult following. It is a very good, very value buy bourbon. Well, count me in that cult because to this day, it is one of my favorite picks. If you ever come home from the liquor store with a bottle of Four Roses, I'm like, right. I remember. <laughs> you like me. 
it's not super pricey. Right. And it is totally sippable and, right. and really enjoyable. I think it's a great starter bourbon if you are just now starting to experiment with what does liquor actually taste like? What does whiskey taste like? What does bourbon taste like mm-hmm. specifically? I think it's a good starter. From there, I would think the next step would be to go to Maker's Mark. Commercially available, I think, everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Very popular. I don't even know that it's a step up from Four Roses because Four Roses is pretty good. Maybe it's a lateral step to just something a little different that's also very good. I would consider, though, an absolute step up from there, good for you or for as a gift, Woodford Reserve. Yes, it's delicious. Very good, very smooth. And that's where I would end with that. Those are good ones to start from to experiment outward. All right, let's talk about my favorite. Scotch. (laughs) Scotchy, scotch, scotch. It's hard to find a really good scotch below the $40 to $50 price point. In that range, Laphroaig 10, which is the number of years it's been aged, that's very good. Johnny Walker Double Black, Artebeg 10, and those in that order become more and more peaty or smoky. Not everybody likes a peaty scotch, so you may hate. In fact, the first time we had Artebeg 10, we hated it. Hated it. What did you say specifically about it? It tastes like licking an ashtray. <laughs> We had a very unsophisticated palate at right. the moment. We had never tried it. We were both like, that's awful. Yes. And so we threw that in the cabinet, in the basement. Yeah, even. we did. <laughs> we had relegated it to hell, but we didn't throw it away. It was over a year later. I think it was a Sunday afternoon, maybe, because at that time, no liquor stores were open right. where we are on Sundays. No grocery stores sold liquor here, any of that. And we were out and it's like, well, maybe there's something down in the booze dungeon. Yes. And we found it and we tried it and we were like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. And it's not like it aged and improved in the glass. You don't get any benefit from that. No. But it was delightful and it's been a favorite of ours ever since. Absolutely. I think one thing is we tried it over, I think we just did a cube of ice. Cooling it down for us, you know, helped a little bit. But I do think that by that time, we had really been experimenting with different kinds of bourbons and some other spirits. And just, you know, it did just like as a kid, you may not like Brussels sprouts. And then you're an adult, you have roasted Brussels sprouts. And you're like, where's this been all my life? As you experiment with things, your palate changes. And something that you tasted once many years ago, suddenly it's like, oh, wow, this is delicious. I mean, Artebeg is probably my favorite that I'm going to pull off the shelf if we're getting a scotch. Now, within the realm of scotch, you have all of the Glens, the Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, Glenroths, Glenmorangi, all the Glens. Many of these are not the peat monsters were our first three. If you don't like peat at all, Glenroths is, I think, really amazing. Mm -hmm. It's like drinking a mixture of butter and vanilla. It's really smooth. Yes, yes, yes. As a last kind of inclusion here, and they're not really scotches by legal definition because they're Japanese, Suntory family. So they're scotch-like. Suntory lived in Scotland, I believe married a Scottish woman, and then brought back everything he'd learned about whiskey making to Japan. From Suntory, we have had Hibiki, which is a little pricey now. Golly, it's like almost $100. Yeah, it wasn't 100 back when we tried it. No, it, it has wasn't. gotten really popular, but it's yeah. very good. More recently, we've had Toki, I think, T O K I. That was good. I yes. enjoyed that. Those are your starting points, as well as ask a friend, look on the interwebs, all that good stuff. But then again, here's what you do with that. You find something, you taste it, you make a decision, good, bad, in the middle, and then begin consulting people. There's got to be a liquor store every mile in Oklahoma. I would guess that's true of everywhere else. And go into a liquor store and tell them, hey, I'm new to bourbons and I just had four roses and I don't like it, but I do want to continue trying bourbons. What would you recommend? And if they're no help, Again, a mile down the road, there's another liquor store. Keep going until you find somebody that kind of knows what they're doing. Or even ask them when you go in, hey, how familiar are you with whatever? And they'll tell you. You can utilize that. Another great resource is bartenders. Sure, yes. Do the same thing at a bar. And at a bar, additionally, you can tell them, hey, 
I'm new, I've tried this and kind of liked it or that and didn't like it or whatever. Could you pour me a flight of four bourbons or whatever's that you would recommend I try? Those aren't full servings, so you're not going to get sloppy unless you do multiple flights. It's a great way to kind of sample without having to buy the whole bottle and, and give things a try that way. Then the last piece, and this is when you really start to get into it. We didn't do this from the start. Let's say that you decide, hey, Woodford Reserve is one of the answers to my life. Go to their website. They're going to list their grain bill. And you may find out, and I can't say that this is true for Woodford. I don't know what their grain bill is. But let's say you've had something you like and you see, oh, well, this has a higher concentration of rye. And the grain bill then does this other thing that I didn't like as much or vice versa. Yes. It has a lot of rye and I didn't like it. Maybe I don't like rye. Maybe I should try some things that don't include much or any of that. In that way, you can kind of piece together yourself and start to really feel like, hey, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to this stuff. Check out the Whiskey Tribe. They have tons of videos, tons of stuff, pretty humorous guys as well. And they do a great job of walking through suggestions. If you really want to nerd out, you can keep your own tasting journal for yourself. I feel like my taste buds are not so exact that I can be like, I'm getting notes of blah, 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 blah. I can't really do that. Although there are- You're not a sommelier. I'm not, for sure. Although there are some, like you said, the scotch that's got that really buttery vanilla-y flavor. I mean, some of them are just so pronounced that you can't help but to notice. But anyway, if you really want to nerd out with it and really go on a journey, keep notes to yourself as you're going through. And you never know, by the time you've gone on this little journey, you're going to be the expert and people are going to be like, oh my gosh, you always know what to drink. Tell me what's the next bottle I should try. Your business partner often has conversations back and forth. That's where we've gotten a lot of our recommendations, just talking about, we just opened a bottle of this. We love it. We hate it. To the point even where each of us are familiar with what the other likes and doesn't like. I can call him and say, hey, I just had Konamara, whatever. It's really peaty. You won't like that. Don't waste your time with it. This has been fun. I hope it has been helpful to the awesomes to hear this rundown on how the whole world of liquor works, how these things come into our lives and some good recommendations to take away. This has been really great. Thank you so much, seriously, for compiling all of this research and information. I feel like you totally tapped into your Enneagram 5 superpower in doing this for us. Thank you for that. I serve at the pleasure of the Meg. If you want to check us out on social media, you can find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find this show on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Kyle, thank you again for being here. You can't find me on social media. <laughs> no, nope, please notice that I did not tell you to find him. <laughs> but I can funnel questions I'll tell to you him. what, that's not a complete truth. Yeah. The sort of, the, no, the awesome, this, what are they called? The sort of awesome superstars. Sort of awesome superstars can find me under a pseudonym. Yes, he is in the superstar hangout group. If you guys want to tag him and ask him a question, then you know where to find him. But really, truly, thank you for your time and doing all of this. It means a lot. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Sort of Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.